morning, church. I don't know about you, but I could have stayed in that worship for a, a long time. It's amazing. I really believe, you know, I've really believing this week that, that I know that God is present every time we meet. But actually what Steve says just really resonated with what I felt God has been saying over the course of this week. I really believe that God is here today. And that might sound something that we just um, can say really quickly, God's in the building. But actually, if we really settle into that and think about the fact that God is in this place, then that opens up a wealth of opportunities that are available for us today. So we're going to carry on um, doing our series, Songs for the Summer. As Steve has already mentioned, my name's Rhiannon, um, part of the team here. And uh, it did say down on the card that Simon, my husband, was preaching, but we actually swapped a while ago and didn't make it onto the card. So um, if you're expecting a bloke, I'm, I'm sorry to, di- to disappoint you. I used to get that a lot. You know, I used to work as a GP and people would come in and they'd see my name, Dr. Beaumont, and they'd sit down and go, oh, I thought you'd be a man. And I'd say, well, what about the name Beaumont? is <laughs> particularly masculine. I'm not really sure. But anyway, so I am a woman and uh, my name's not Simon. But there we go. So what we want to talk about today is I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bible, to Psalm 124. And I'm just going to read this to you. It says, it's a song of ascent, a song of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say. If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's just those bits that I wanted to highlight to you again. If the Lord... Excuse me, I'm just going to move this a little bit. If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, if I read this perhaps at some points in my life, my immediate reaction, I don't know whether it's the way that I've been trained or brought up or whatever, would be to go, David, I'm sure it really wasn't as dramatic as you're making it out to be. You know, that kind of, we would have been swallowed alive and all that sort of stuff. Probably I'd have said to David, very few people in life actually want to kill you, okay? I don't have anyone I don't think that's like after my head. And I would have probably ended up saying to David, calm down, have a cup of tea, sleep on it. That's what my mum always used to say. Wake up in the morning, write a list of pros and cons and sit down and have a little bit of a meditation about it. And you will see that life is really not quite as bad as it is. You just need to get a grip on things. Anybody identify with that? I don't know whether it's maybe just me, but I always think things are never quite as bad as you think they are. And when I look at this, I just that's my kind of instant reaction. But I think also that that is our reaction sometimes as society. Because when things are seemingly really bad, what we believe and what we've been told is that we're masters of our own destiny. And so when we read a psalm like that of David and it sounds really awful, like we were going to be engulfed and swallowed alive, we kind of start to think, David, come on, you probably got yourself into that situation. Israel probably got yourself into that situation. So if you think hard enough and you work hard enough at it, you'll be able to get yourself out of that situation. Because here's the key. What we love to do is we love to sanitize things and we love to get things back into our control. 
And we might make it look in different ways. We might kind of, some of us might do millions of lists or some of us might get a little bit dictatorial in the way that we handle things. But often when we face situations like David was facing, we want to take them back into our control. And so we read this, believing that everyone gets themselves into situations by the choices they make and everyone can get them out. And we think, oh, come on, David, life wasn't that bad, surely. You ended up being a king, hey? It all worked out in the end. So don't worry about it. But actually, do you know, when I read this again, something sparked in me that is completely different from that. Because I read it again as this, if the Lord had not been on our side, they would have swallowed us alive. And actually, rather than thinking that's a situation for us to avoid, I began to realize that as somebody who's a Christian, as someone who's devoted to following Christ, a Psalm 124 situation should be the kind of situation that I'm in all the time. I should be putting myself in situations where if God doesn't turn up, it's all going to go pear-shaped. See, we want to avoid those because we don't like the unknown. But the fact is that you and I are made, I believe, to step out in faith. We're made to take ground that is not, hasn't been taken before. We're made to navigate unknown situations. And so actually, when we read that Psalm 124, what we should be asking ourselves is, God, when was the last time I did something that if you didn't show up on, I would have looked ridiculous, I would have failed, I would have fallen flat on my face? Because that is the situation that actually I believe each one of us is called to and often each one of us avoids. You know, when I was thinking about this, I thought about when I was uh, at university and I did quite a long course and at the end of uh, I, I read, I studied medicine. At the end of it, we had to go and do some placements. And I was out in Ipswich, which was interesting. And uh, sorry if you're from Ipswich. Um, <laughs> it's not that bad a place, really. Anyway, I was out in Ipswich. And um, what, you've got, what you've got to understand is I used to work every single holiday ever. As soon as I was legally old enough to work at the age of 13, I, I got a job. I wasn't pushed by my parents into, you know, labor and stuff, child labor. But I just I like working. So I used to work every single holiday. I used to work in my evenings after school and everything. When it came to my final year at medical school, we had no holidays. We had two weeks of Christmas, two at Easter. So I worked those and then literally had no other opportunity to earn. And that year they'd put our rents up, but they hadn't put our bursary up. So I literally had no money. And um, I hadn't told anybody about this. I hadn't told my parents because I really felt and I'd prayed about it that God wanted to teach me some lessons about him being my provider. And I knew if I told my parents that they would bail me out. And I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do at the time. So Sunday night comes and I had used my last 10 pounds of petrol to get back from Ipswich to come to church. And um, I had no petrol left and I had to get back to Ipswich and I had no money. And I'm not exaggerating. I didn't have a trust fund or something that I could dip into. I had literally no money at all. And I'd offered to give this girl a lift. And she said yes. I don't really know why she said yes because I told her I'd got no petrol. But she still came along for the ride anyway. So I sit there and I just think, how am I going to get to Ipswich? I literally, and you know when people say the tank's low? My husband says the tank's low at half. That's not low. I always run it right low till it's beeping. You've got five miles left and you just just make it to the petrol station. But I think all good marriages have one person that fills up the car and one that lets it go down and lives on the edge. Anyway, so I literally was running on fumes, okay? And I was thinking, how am I going to get to Ipswich? So I said to, to this girl, Lois, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to have to pray over the car 
Thankfully, she was a Christian, but I still think it was a bit far for her. So I said, I'm just going to pray over the car, and I'm going to pray that the car will get us to Ipswich. <laughs> so I prayed, I laid hands on the dashboard, and I just got on the A14 and started driving. And then I was thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> Stupid. But I just in my head thought, God, I'm not wasting my money. I've not drank it away. I've given it to church. The reason I've got no petrol is because I've been coming back to do connect group, lead connect group, and serve on Sunday. So you're going to have to turn up because the reason I've got no petrol is your problem anyway because I've been doing it. So you're going to have to turn up, God. So I get in this car. I'm praying. And then I get on the A14 and I start to think, oh, please, please, God, come on, come on. You've got to get me to, to Ipswich. And the light had gone on ages ago before we even set off. And then the thickest fog descended on the A14 that I have ever seen. And I couldn't see anything in front. And I said to Lois, because I started to think, maybe I'm going to have to ask her to, to fill up the, pet the car. Um, but then we couldn't even pull over because we couldn't see, would we be pulling into a ditch? Would we be pulling into a, a service station? We had no idea. We literally just had to keep going. So I said, come on, we've got to pray again. <laughs> so we prayed over the car again. And then we got into Ipswich, and, and at that stage, I jumped out of the car, thank God, got on with stuff, and then my bursary came in the next day, filled the car up with petrol, and didn't think twice about it. I had a massive Psalm 124 moment without almost processing it, because I realized, God, you've got to turn up. I've done everything that I can, but I'm in a position where I've got to do this, I've got to step out, and I need you to provide the miracle. Fast forward a few years after I'd qualified and life was a bit more settled, I had a place to live, we could meet the bills, I had a job. And I'm sat on a sofa with my sister-in-law, Anna. And we're really close, um, uh, me and my sister-in-law, we always end up talking about everything. Um, and we always end up talking about church and God and leadership and what's on at Topshop and all those kind of things, all in the mix. Um, and we were sat there and what you've got to realize is, although I know that I was always called into medicine, from, a young, from about 15, 16, I knew God had called me to be a doctor. But I always knew that it wasn't permanent. I always knew that it was going to just be a season in my life and that eventually I would leave it and that it would be used for something, but I wasn't going to stay in there forever. And I sat chatting to Anna, and she's always known this because she's known me for years, and, and she's seen me through the journey. And I said to Anna, do you know, Anna, I think that God is saying that now's the time to begin to think to leave medicine. And she's like, oh, that's great. You know, you've always known that. And it's great that God's given you time and you've never known the time in. And it's great. And I looked at her and I went, no, it's not. I said, it's not great at all. I said, what am I going to do? What are we going to do about the mortgage? I said, what if we need a car in a couple of years' time? Where are we going to get the money for that? I said, what am I going to do? Like, you know, how am I going to keep my mind going and all these kind of things? And, and what about this? And what about that? And what if I narrow down my options and all this stuff? And she sat there and she looked at me. And the thing is with Anna, she is lovely when you first meet her. But she tells it straight, you know? And you need people like that in your life. She looked at me and she went, that stuff? All those issues, all those things that you're worrying about, that, Rhiannon, is called your faith gap. That's your faith gap. And right in that moment, bang, she just spoke right into me. And I knew what she meant, but I went, uh, what? Uh, she said, that's your faith gap. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a Christ follower. You should be living your life, not just with a margin of time, but with a margin of faith around it. You should be living your life with a gap where only God can turn up. And straight away, I thought back to me stuck in that car on the way up to Ipswich with no petrol. And I thought, what happened? What happened? Where have I lost the gap? And then I thought about some, you know, Psalm 124. David said, if God hadn't showed up, we would have been swallowed alive. And there's me, more comfortable than I'd ever been, more secure, 
and, and, and I was more scared than getting into a car and doing something. I would never do that now. What had happened? Here's what I think had happened. I think so often we can start out with a faith gap. We can start out with that. But what had happened is I'd grown in competency. I'd grown in my skills. And so, so my competency had begun to engulf my faith gap. So, so what had happened was where I, I was really struggling for kind of, you know, finance and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I got a job. It's a bit more stable. So I didn't have to believe God for that now. I got it sorted myself. And I really believe that there's people here today, and that is exactly where you're at right now. You perhaps once had a faith gap, but hey, we're all called to grow and expand and to become more competent. But what happens is we grow our competency, but sometimes it covers our faith gap, and we don't grow the faith gap. But here is the key thing that I want you to know today. Your miracle is in the gap. Your miracle is waiting for you in the gap. And when I realized, sat on that sofa in London, I realized, God, I have got to get my faith gap back. I have got to start living with faith again. I've got to put myself in sticky situations, not avoid them. I've got to get to a place where I don't know what's going to happen. Only if God turns up will it work. That's when we started to see a miracle. Because what we actually did was, Sai's been saying all along, go for it, go for it. The problem was with me. We decided there and then that we would live off, we wouldn't use any of the income that came from my GP job, and we would live at that moment as if we hadn't got that income. So we looked at our budget, we're big budgeters, and we budget for everything, and we got rid of everything that was surplus. We got rid of clothing budget, we got rid of um, gift budgets for, for our birthdays and Christmases, we got rid of any, any fun, we, we had a date fund, we got rid of that, we got rid of all of that. And we looked at it and said, well, God, you've called us. This is our faith gap. We're going to cut all of this down and see what happens. Um, and, and just live now in that gap. We're going to start to move into the gap. And you know, the next week, we were feeling slightly sorry for ourselves, to be honest. And uh, we were like, oh, we've, we've got nothing really now if we live off this amount of money. And uh, um, this person rang us up and said, hey, um, we've got a couple of John Mayer tickets for you. Do you want them? And I got really emotional, and this person was like, whoa, what the heck's going on? Because <laughs> they didn't realize they were part of my miracle. They didn't realize that by giving us John Mayer tickets, we realized God has seen us. He didn't have to give us. That's not a need, is it? John Mayer tickets not a need. Well, some people might say they're a need. It's not a need. But it was as if God was saying, I see your faith. I see that you've stepped out. And you don't have to worry about having fun. I've come to give you a great life. I haven't come to see you in poverty and suffering. And then a couple of weeks later, so I was called into his boss's office. And it was totally out of the blue, not in any time where we get, they get pay reviews or anything like that. And the guy just turned to him and said, do you know, we just want to give you a really massive pay rise out of the blue for no particular reason. He said, we just want to thank you for the contribution that you've made to the company and to the team. And, and here's a pay rise. And we were just like, whoa. You know, it was only a couple of weeks ago. You guys obviously would have been like, because you don't seem remotely bothered by that. But we were excited because, you know, we'd only just said, okay, God, let's navigate that gap. Let's enter that gap and, and let's live life, Steve. <laughs> Steve. Trying to put me off here, Steve. <laughs> Your miracle is waiting for you in the gap waiting for you in the gap. Why? 
Because that's where faith comes into action. And the Bible tells us this. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We used to sing this in Sunday school. I'm not going to sing it to you because it will kill it. But in, in, in Sunday school, we used to learn this verse. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that says to me that the converse is that if we want to start to get the eye of God on us, then we need to operate in faith. Because if we haven't got faith, we're not going to please God. But if we start to act in faith and we start to respond in faith, then we start to get the eye of God on our lives. And that's what moves God. The Bible also says in, in Hebrews and Romans that the righteous will live by faith. Problem is, I often live by reason. I often live by planning. I often live by, let's chat to everybody else that I know and come up with a reason that will work and a plan. But actually, God tells us that our characteristics as Christians should be to live by faith. And you know, we took a tiny baby step and God met us in the gap with a miracle. See, what is faith? Well, faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11... Faith is confidence in the future. It says this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I always used to learn that faith stands for forsaken all, I trust him. The thing is, I always used to think that that was forsaken all others, I trust God. But I've realized as I've got a little bit older, but the person that I need to ignore the most sometimes is myself. Because if I, if I just listen to myself and plan and get myself in situation, I'm not acting in faith. Forsaken all, I trust him. These, these concepts of things like faith and hope are difficult to grasp. But sometimes if we look in the Bible, we can look at individuals who operated in faith. And it can give us a bit of a better example of what faith is like. So I just want to talk about a couple, a few examples in the Bible of people who acted and occupied their faith gap. The first is the feeding of the 5,000. I love the feeding of the 5,000, but I love thinking about it from the disciples' point of view. So there's Jesus speaking to way more than 5,000 people because the Bible only really ever counts the men. So there would have been children and, and, and women there. And the disciples, always one ear on the crowd, were, were a bit kind of nervous that the, the guys were getting really hungry. So they turn to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the guys are getting hungry and, and, you know, they really need to, to get fed. And why don't we send them away so they can go and get some food? And, hey, they could always come back. They can come back at 7.30. That's always a good time for a Christian meeting. Come back for that. And, um, and then they've been nice and fed. And, who know, you know, how many of you know it's really hard to, to listen to anything when you're hungry or when you need the loo or when you're cold? You know, those things need to be met. So that the disciples, there's a lot of nods in the building. Amen. You're more excited about that than faith. Anyway, um, <laughs> the disciples say, come on, Jesus, let's send them away. And Jesus turns to them and says, that is a really good point. They are hungry. Hey, why don't you feed them? Now, if I was a disciple, I'd have turned to Jesus and said, look, I'm just pointing out the issue. I'm not looking for being part of the solution. I can't feed all these thousands of people. But anyway, the disciples go away and they come back with five loaves and two fish. Now, I've been thinking about this and I find it really hard to believe that in a crowd of that many people, there was so little food. See, since becoming a mum, I have so much food on me at all times. I used to look at people who were mums and think, gosh, it's so organised. You've always got a tissue. I've never been one of those people that carry tissues. Like, that is organised life if you've always got a tissue handy. And then I became a mum and realised I don't just have a tissue. I have food, you know, depending on what she might want, all this kind of stuff. So I find it really weird that there is only five loaves and two fish. 
And I wonder whether the disciples just went, oh, that'll do. We'll take this to Jesus, prove to him that it's totally impossible to feed all this crowd. That'll shut him up. We can get him home and we can have a bit of chill out time. That's not in the Bible or probably in any commentaries. But I just wonder if that happened. So they turn up to Jesus with these five loaves and two fish, give it to him as if to say, see, Jesus, there's no way we can feed these people. Jesus takes the bread, takes the fish, prays over them and gives it back. Now, at this point, you'd be thinking, what on earth is going on? If you were a disciple, you've just given him this bread, showed him that it's not enough. He's done a little prayer over it, given it back, and now he's looking at you as if to say, go on. And the disciples had a moment there. They were facing a faith gap of not having. They didn't have it. They didn't have enough stuff. They couldn't provide for all of those people, and they were stood there. And there was a long walk, I reckon, between where they were standing and where the people that needed to be fed were. And the miracle didn't happen in the moment when Jesus gave them the food. Where did the miracle happen? It happened in the gap. It happened in the bit between Jesus and between the crowd where they had to walk. And they had to step out into the unknown. They had to face the possibility that it could be humiliating, that it could be embarrassing, that they could get there and be like, actually, I've only got a crumb. But what actually happened was that God met them in the gap. And that was where their miracle happened. And we read that there was just more and more and more food and more abundance available for these people because they took that step. You know, what are you facing right now? And you're looking at it and you're saying, I don't have this. I don't have the money. I don't have the intellect. I don't have the academic credentials. I don't have the opportunities. I don't have the time. All of these don't haves, maybe they're your faith gap. Maybe God is saying, like he said to the disciples, give me what you've got, let me bless it, and step out in what you've got and see what I can do with it. Because that's what he did to the disciples. He said, give me what you've got, I'll bless it, start walking and you'll see the miracle. Give the time that you've got to God, he'll give it back to you blessed. Start walking in it and see what happens to your time. Give the money you've got back to God. Let him bless it. Start walking in the finance that you've got and see if God does not meet you in that gap. See if your miracle is not in the gap. Because when I read the story of the disciples, I get so excited because I think I would have run away. But actually, they just stepped out and right there, God met them. Hebrews 11 has a whole chapter devoted to people of faith. And I'm not going to go over all of them today. Maybe go back and have a read of them. But one of the people that is mentioned is Noah. Noah is mentioned in Hebrews 11. And it says of Noah, we know the story of Noah. In fact, when we went on holiday as kids, we used to always go away for two weeks. And um, because my parents were really fun, they used to say, let's have a daily Bible study as a family. That was the highlight of the holiday. <laughs> um, no. And um, so we take it in turns to do the Bible study. And my brother Richard, every year, without fail, used to talk about Noah. Honestly, he used to, and you talk to him now, he's nearly 30, um, expecting his first child. And he still goes, yeah, Noah's my favorite person in the whole Bible after Jesus. Uh, he loves Noah. So he always used to talk about Noah. So to be honest, I've always had a bit of a prejudice about Noah. But don't tell anyone about that. So I'm reading Hebrews 11, and it just says this of Noah. Noah was called to build a boat, not seeing. His faith gap was a gap of not seeing. See, we sort of think, oh, Noah was called to build a boat. Heck, that's pretty cool. You know, we all know what a boat is because we live on an island. But Noah lived in a desert. 
Imagine being called to build a boat in a desert. He hadn't got a clue what he was doing. He couldn't see the end result. He didn't know where he was going. And yet, he took that faith gap of not seeing. He took that step. And I don't believe that he really even understood what the implications of all that God had for him was. And yet, I bet when God told him to get in that boat, and the rain started to come in, and the water started rising, I bet that was when Noah started to realize, and Noah started to see, now I get what it's all about. I get that this thing, this boat that God's called me, it's going to save us. I had no idea what it was. I faced ridicule. I had no, but I just knew I had to build this thing in a desert, which would help me when I get stuck in rain. It made no sense. I couldn't see it. But now I see it as the waters are rising and God's protected me and my family. And I get it now. See, the thing is, again, his miracle occurred in the gap. If he'd waited for the rain, he'd have been dead because he wouldn't have had a boat. He had to build the boat in order to be saved. And so often in our lives, our faith gap that we face is one of not seeing. And maybe there's certain areas in your life that you're feeling called to, but it doesn't make sense. You can't see the end result. But God is still saying, come on in. Come into the gap. I'm in the gap with you. Occupy your gap, because that's where your miracle is. The other person that I think about is the, the person of Abraham. It says of Abraham that God called him from a place that he knew to go away he did not know. And actually, we find that he inherited a land. He became the father of many nations. But there was a point where he was called by his God to go to a place not knowing. And God met him on the journey. He could have stayed where he was, but he would have missed out on so much stuff. And you know, there's another faith gap for us as well, isn't there? The gap of not knowing. So often, that's one of the biggest gaps. I don't know what the future might hold. If I step out, am I going to get embarrassed? What if God doesn't come through for me? What if I don't know the end result? You see, all of these situations, including, including my own, caused us to have to face the unknown. And I believe that there's some of you here today that God is saying, you've got to face up to the unknown. And how are you going to handle it? Or you can be a bit like me and maybe you can try and rationalize it and you can come up with a plan and you can try and control it. Or maybe you could be a bit like we see in Jonah. He just runs away initially. He just avoids it. And we can avoid the unknown and we can live lives that are fine, that are really quite nice, but they're quite mediocre, if we're honest. They're perhaps not the kind of lives we set out to lead when we were kids. They haven't got the adventure. They've not got the that the, the risk, they've not got anything because we just keep it all within our own confines and we just avoid ever taking that step of faith. Or we can be like the men of faith and the women of faith we read about in the Bible. And I believe that is in, within each and every one of us, not just for people in the Bible. We can be people who say, I'm going to occupy the gap. I'm going to step into the gap, the faith gap. I'm going to live my life with margins of faith. I'm going to live my life like Psalm 124, where there's areas that if God doesn't turn up, it's all going to go pear-shaped. I'm going to have areas in my life that are like that. I'm going to have areas where I am stepping out in faith. Now, maybe not in every area of your life, but perhaps just some areas of your life when you say, I'm going to put myself deliberately in a position that is sticky, 
that actually God's got to turn up, otherwise I'm going to look ridiculous. I'm going to talk to somebody at work, and God's going to have to show up, otherwise I'm going to get sort of shunned and embarrassed. You know, I'm going to give to the church, and I'm going to tithe, even though the, the numbers perhaps don't add up, but I'm going to do that because I believe God will show up in the gap, because that's where my miracle is. See, God responds to faith. His eye, I believe, is looking for people who will prepare to stand out and go out on a limb and say, I'm going to step out in faith. And that's what God pleases God's heart. Your miracle is in your gap. See, the thing is, we don't know the exact stuff that's going to go on in the gap. I didn't know how God was going to provide for us. But can I just say to you, we were on a journey with that. And every single time, just two weeks ago, we were talking and praying about something and about provision. And we had gone out for a meal and come back. And within an hour, incredible, and it's, I don't know how it happened, within an hour that provision was met. Within an hour of us just saying, well, we just gotta, we gotta, this is what we believe God had called us to do. We've got to stick to it. This is our faith gap. God met the provision. That's not saying it's anything special about us, guys. It isn't. We were scared. Didn't make sense. Naturally, we can be quite rational people. Size a software engineer, so he's got an algorithm for everything. And, 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 and so it doesn't necessarily, I'm not saying that, oh, look at us. No, I'm saying it to say, guys, it's possible. It's not just people in the Bible that can live by faith. You can walk by faith. You can push out beyond your competencies. Your competencies can grow, but don't forget the faith gap. I wonder if the band could come up for us, if that's okay. Your miracle, I believe, is waiting for you in your faith gap. And I just really have felt so strongly this week that there's people here that have become comfortable and stable, just like I was. That actually maybe once you did walk with faith and expectation, but actually you've just allowed things to get settled and easy and nice. And that's not a bad thing because God does grow us. But let's not neglect the margin of faith we're supposed to leave around our lives. I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. As I've been preparing this week, and the band have been amazing at doing this, I'm so grateful. I felt God drop this song onto my heart. And um, I wondered if there was a possibility that we could share it with you. Because I can talk to you. I can encourage you. I hopefully can inspire you. But something about a song, for me anyway, can just unlock something. And as I was listening to this song on Monday morning and I was looking after Brooke, I just couldn't stop crying about this song. Because there's something in this song that stirs my faith. And I love faith. I love it when I see people who walk by faith. It just does something to me. It connects within my spirit. And I was just praying, God, let this be a song. A modern day Psalm 124 that basically says, you know, stuff can be bad. Wars can wage. You know, the storm can come. You know, we can be in the fight, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch that fight turn. And I'm going to watch that gap become inhabited by God and inhabited by me. I don't know what the gap's got in store for me, but the one thing I do know is God is in it. And if my God is in it and my God is for me, then there is nothing that is impossible. And these are not just words. These are things that we need to get into our soul. And you know, sometimes a song can get stuck in your soul far better than my words can. And so I want us to sing this song and I just want you to put your hands out. And I just want you to receive from God as these guys sing this over you. You know, it says, I'll stare down the waves 
because you own the tide. And I just want to encourage you, the waves that you're facing, the faith gaps that are in store for you, you know the God that owns the tide. He sorts it all out. You might get a little bit battered along the way, but he's never going to leave you. He's never going to see you forsaken. And maybe you're stood here today and you say, do you know, I have never walked in faith. Maybe your life has never had a faith element to it at all. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond later after this song. Because sometimes what we can do in life is we can say, I get all the Christian stuff. I get all the stuff about Jesus, but it's that final bit. I just can't work it out. That is your faith gap. You will never work it out. You've got to take that step. You know, the thing that I've realized about God is he doesn't meet you on the second step. He meets you as soon as you lift your foot up and you start to put it down. Because he's willing you. He's up there watching you and he's saying, come on, take that step. I want to meet you there. And so I want to give you also the opportunity to pray with you later. But right now, let's just have this song sung over us. And let's just do some business with God. Like I did on my sofa. Well, my, my brother's sofa. I realized I needed to get back to living with a faith gap.